Good morning. Man, I am happy to see you guys today. Um, I want to just kind of refresh something that Joy said that really spoke to me. The world is changing around us fast, isn't it? I mean, the rules change. You know, I had COVID last week, and they're like, the rules are different now than they were a couple of weeks ago. Everything is changing. The enemy is coming at us with different attacks. Things are changing all around us all the time. But some things remain constant. Amen? God doesn't change. His love for us does not change. His power over the enemy does not change. And you know what else? His word does not change. God's word does not change. And I'm gonna ask you today to consider something that is, to me, um, mind-boggling. This book is God communicating with us. God communicating with us. It's God communicating with us. Um, about 30 years ago, Bill Gates bought a notebook. It was called the Codex Lester, and it was a notebook from Leonardo da Vinci. It was like his personal journal, and he had all kinds of sketches and drawings and all that stuff in there. And I can see how that was a powerful thing to own this book that belonged to Leonardo da Vinci. He paid $30 million for it almost a million dollars a page for this incredible book. But come on, it's Leonardo da Vinci, right? But this is God communicating with us. I have a book at home written by Ben Hogan on the golf swing, and it has radically impacted my life. Right, but I've learned a lot about the golf swing, and plus his story, if you don't know, is a very inspirational story. It's a really great book, come on, it's Ben Hogan. But this is God communicating with us. There's lots of great books in the world written by Homer and Plato and Shakespeare and J.K. Rowling, and those books are awesome. But this is God communicating with us. There are important documents in museums behind glass all over the world, the Magna Carta, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and people wait in line and fork out good money to look through glass and see those documents, and they should, because those documents are incredible and life-changing and history-changing. But this is God communicating with us, and I've just been thinking a lot lately about how amazing this book is. I don't know if I mentioned this, but it's God <laughs> communicating with us. And to me, that's like mind-blowing. God communicating with us is an incredible thing to even think about. But as amazing as this book is, if I'm honest, it can be a little weird, right? We can say it. It's, it, it can be a little confusing. You know, people tell me all the time, you know, I try to read the Bible, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. Let me just ask you right now, how many of you have read something in the Bible at some time or another, and you've thought, that, just, that does not sound right. That sounds weird. Anybody? Most of you? If you haven't, then be encouraged, because I'm going to show you something in a minute that you're going to say, that does not sound right. And that just sounds weird to me. And I think we need, to, we need to get serious about understanding this book. If it is really God communicating with us, 
I think we need to, to try to attack that problem, and that's what we're gonna be doing for the next several weeks. Um, I think one of the problems that we have that we don't understand what the Bible says or we don't understand what the Bible means is that we don't understand what the Bible is. I think some of us have a misunderstanding of what the Bible is. Some of us, I think, have in mind that it's just like these golden tablets that floated down from heaven and they've got just a list of rules on them and if you keep those rules, then God won't be mad at you. And certainly the Bible is full of instructions, but that's not what the Bible is. And I think some of us have this idea that the Bible is some sort of like magical history book that Moses fell asleep under a tree with a laptop on his lap and he woke up and the document was filled up with all the stuff about creation and where the world started and the dates and the times and the names and everything was just spelled out for him. And certainly there's a lot of important history in the Bible, but that's not what the Bible is. I think some people think that the Bible is a science book and that it's got everything in it to explain the age of the earth and the nature of our world and all about the universe and all that good stuff. And certainly there is brilliant science available to us to uncover in the Bible, but that's not what the Bible is. And some people think of the Bible as like Aesop's tales, right? It's just a bunch of old stories that teach us some moral values or something. And yeah, there's a lot to learn about life from the Bible, but that's not what the Bible is. The Bible isn't any one thing. It's not any one type of thing. It's not any one style of writing. It's not even one book. The Bible is really more like a library of 66 different books that were written in three different languages on three different continents by more than 40 people that were all inspired by God. And there's all kinds of genres. There's all kinds of literary styles. There's amazing stories in the Bible. There's amazing poetry in the Bible. There's history in the Bible. There's discourse in the Bible. There's laws in the Bible. If you can picture like walking into a library, it's like, well, over there, that's the poetry books. Over there, that's all the law books. Well, this is where the biographies are kept. Well, that's all the history books over in that corner. That's what the Bible is. It's, it's, it's all of these different kinds of books that do all these different kinds of things. And it's really important to understand these different genres, these different literary styles, because different types of writing do different things, right? You don't expect the same thing from a book of poetry that you expect from a cookbook, right? You don't expect the same thing from a grocery list as you experience or expect from a history book. All these different types of writing really matter. And I'm gonna show you how much it matters right now. I promise you I would show you something weird in the Bible, something that would make you like confused in the Bible. Some, if, if you came to Bible to have your confusion cleared up, you came to the wrong church today. This is gonna be something that I, I guarantee, if, this, if you've never read this passage before, if you don't feel a little weird about it, then I don't know, something's wrong with you. So Matthew 5, is a really famous passage in the Bible. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon in history, really the best sermon ever. And this is where we get the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. We've all heard those, right? Most of your modern translations don't say blessed, they say happy. So when you read through this, the Beatitudes, it says happy are the humble, Happy are those who love justice. Happy are the merciful and the pure-hearted. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the people who endure persecution. This is amazing. This is discourse. This is Jesus actually teaching you. You want to be happy? Here's what you need to do. If you do this, you'll be happy. People that are happy do these things. It's as clear as it can be. Happy are those who whatever. 
Everybody heard that passage? You understand that passage. Do you understand the purpose of that passage? It's, it's to encourage you to do those behaviors so that you can be happy, right? Okay, now we're going to turn over to another passage. This is Psalm 137, 9, and we're going to put it on the board for you today. And it says, happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. How many of you have heard a sermon preached on that before? <laughs> I get up every morning and read an inspirational verse out of the Bible, and that's the one I read today. Um, so that's, that's a little confusing, right? We just got through reading, you'll be happy if you do this, you'll be happy if you do that, and now this God who we say is love is saying that you'll be happy if you smash babies against the rock. Does that make you feel weird? Yeah, that's it's like confusing, right? It, it's, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do with that. And I certainly don't know what to do with that if a critic brings it to me. If somebody challenges me, oh, you say your God's a God of love, what do you got to say about that? I don't, I don't know, what do I do with that, right? And let me tell you something, this is what happens to many, many of us when we go to college. Because we're raised in church where we all believe the Bible and we read what it says and it's God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. We read the Bible, we read the Bible, we all talk about it the same, we come to these weird passages, what do we do? We skip them. Right? We just don't talk about those things. And then we go to college and we take philosophy, or we go to college and we take world religions, and a professor asks us, you're saying God is love, what are you going to do with that verse? And it's like, we don't know what to do with it. It's very confusing. They ask us the question, is the Bible really a, bi a book that you want to read? Is the Bible really a book that you want to believe in? Is the Bible really a book that you want to live your life by? And the answer is, yeah, but we got to really read it. We, we, we gotta try to understand it. We can't just skim over it. It's, it's way too important for that. I don't know if I told you this. This is God communicating with us. It, that's why Joshua 1.8 says, meditate on the word day and night. Think about what that, what is that saying, man? That means all day, every day. We should just be thinking, what does it mean? What is he trying to tell me? What does this mean in light of this? What does that mean in light of this? Well, what, let me talk to my friends. This word meditating on the word, it's actually a, a Hebrew word. You know what it means? It means to mumble. Because all day, every day, I should be saying, in the beginning, God created that. Okay, wait. Oh, it was in the beginning God created it. Oh, it was God in the beginning who created it. He created the heavens and, and the earth. The heavens and the earth were... Is God in the beginning, I should be doing that all day. That's meditating on the word day, trying to dig it in and understand what it's trying to tell us. And when Paul wrote his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, he tells Timothy, you have to work hard to understand the truth. If you've got a King James Bible, I love this. It says to rightly divide the word, right? To chop it up into bites that you can handle, to break it down into pieces that you can understand, to divide this thing up and really try to understand what God is trying to say to you, not just pick out a verse, put it on a coffee mug, post it on Facebook, and that's my theology. It, this is God communicating with us. It is so much more important. We gotta, we gotta dig in. We gotta do the work. We gotta meditate on it, we've gotta discuss it, we've gotta rightly divide it, and one of the ways that we do that is by understanding these different literary styles that are in the Bible. And this is where the confusion comes in on the baby smashing passage. 
So Matthew 5 is discourse. This is Jesus really literally telling you, if you want to be happy, here's what you should do. That's discourse. Pretty easy to understand that. Do what he says. Things will work out great for you. Psalm 137 is not discourse. It's not instructions for you. It's a poem. It's a psalm. It's a song. The purpose of poetry is not to disseminate information, right? The, po- the purpose of poetry is to share an experience, to share a feeling. It's not about the information that's in the song, right? When Bruce Springsteen said, born in the USA, remember that song? He wasn't telling you his history of where he was born. I don't care where he was born, right? I don't want to know what hospital he was born in. I don't care that he played baseball, right? The, he's telling us that so that we can share this emotion. Yeah. I'm feeling that. He's proud to be an American. Remember that song, I'm proud to be an American, right? People stand up when they play that song, right? And what is that? He's not telling us the history of America. He's not telling us how to become an American citizen. He's just saying, this is what it feels like. Come feel that with me. That's what poetry is. Come feel, this is what I'm feeling. I want you to feel it with me. Uh, There's a really famous poem. Dylan Thomas wrote a poem called Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Anybody heard that poem? You know that one, really famous poem, really beautiful poem. And he's writing this poem to his father because his dad is dying. And his dad is not putting up a fight against dying. And so he's saying to his father, don't just roll over. Don't just accept this. Don't go gentle into that good, put up a fight. He says, rage, rage against the dying of the light. He says, smart men don't just roll over, they put up a fight. Brave men don't just die, they put up a fight. Good men don't just accept death, they put up a fight. You're brave, you're smart, you're good. Do not go gentle into that good night. Now that poem means a lot to me. When my dad died 20 years ago, he started having heart problems and all that, you know, the same stuff everybody has, right? And, and he had a stroke, he had a heart attack, whatever. And he needed to change his diet. And he needed to quit smoking. And he needed to make some life changes. And it's like he wouldn't do it. And I was so frustrated with him. Just try. Put up a fight. Don't just roll over. And I read that poem and I can feel what Dylan Thomas felt. He's not sharing information with me. He's not conveying information to me. He's sharing a feeling with me. He's sharing an emotion with me. That's what poetry does. Psalm 137 is a poem. And the author of that poem has seen Jerusalem destroyed by Babylon. And they've seen their enemies overtake them and smash their babies against the rocks and haul their kids off into captivity and burn down their town and destroy their temple. And this author is so sad in such despair and frustration. And he just says, man, I'm so angry. I wish somebody would smash your babies against a rock. 
I wish you could experience that. And now he is saying to you as you read that poem, come feel that with me, right? Come feel that with me. Experience this feeling with me. That's what poetry does. Do you see the difference between discourse? This is, you want to have a happy life? Here's what you do. Versus poetry, this is an emotion. Come feel it with me. These are two completely separate things. And I'm saying that's the work of understanding the Bible. It's taken the time and effort and energy to just dig in a little bit. If we want to understand what the Bible really means, if we want to understand what the Bible really says, we got to try to understand what the Bible really is. And the Bible is an amazing collection of books that was written by a whole bunch of different people in a whole bunch of different literary styles, and they all work together to tell the one big unified story that leads to Jesus. In John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. So he's saying to the Jews, yeah, you know that your Old Testament, man, you know your Bible, but read it and you're gonna see that it's about me. It's about me, the whole story of the Bible. Even the creation stuff in Genesis, even the boring stuff in Leviticus, even the crazy stories about wars and floods and giants and talking snakes, they're all part of one united story that leads to Jesus. And the amazing thing is, as it's telling this incredible story, right, as it's weaving this epic story of God redeeming mankind through Jesus, a story that starts in the beginning in Genesis and ends in the future in Revelation, all along the way, it teaches us how to live and how to love and how to follow Jesus. And it invites us into the story so that we can know it and we can understand it and we can be part of it. So it's practical instruction like woven into this incredible tapestry, this incredible story that leads to Jesus. It's two things at the same time. It's, it's God communicating with us. We should expect more than just a book, right? It's actually teaching practical life instructions and telling us this one big unified story that leads to Jesus. So Paul wrote a bunch of it, right? Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was a great church planter. He was a great preacher. He was also a mentor to Timothy, who was a young pastor. So he wrote him these letters. His second letter to Timothy, remember he told him earlier, you gotta work hard, you gotta dig in, you gotta get the truth out of this thing, you gotta rightly divide the word. Look what he says, this is 2 Timothy 3, 14. I want you to see the two things that the Bible is doing. It's telling the big story that points to Jesus, and it's giving us life instruction. 2 Timothy 3.14, you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they're true because you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So Timothy's dad was Greek, but his mom was a Jew, and she raised him in the Hebrew Bible. She raised him in what we call the Old Testament. So his whole life, you know, they didn't have video games, right? They didn't have algebra homework. They didn't have youth baseball. They didn't have dance and cheer and all that stuff. You know what they did? They went over those stories. 
every night at dinner, especially on Sabbath, they went over these stories about the creation and the flood and Abraham and Moses and Exodus and David. Timothy knew all about that stuff. He knew all, like that's all they talked about, man. They meditated on it day and night, over and over and over. He knew about the law and he knew about the sacrifices and he knew about the exile and he knew about the return and all of that stuff had been taught to him his whole life for a reason. And that was to eventually point him to the Messiah. Because the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. That that Hebrew Bible, those holy scriptures that Paul talks about, gave him the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Jesus. Because all through the Old Testament, Timothy could see the need and the promise of a coming Messiah. Because every story he read, every, every poem he read, every, every piece of discourse that he read, everything that he read in the old time showed him this need for the Messiah and the promise of this coming Messiah. So when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, he was ready. Timothy recognized him. Timothy accepted him, and, that, and he became part of the story himself. So Paul is saying to him, good job. You did it, man. You, you get it. You see that this this big unified story that you've been studying your whole life in the Holy Scriptures, you see that that all leads to Jesus. So that is awesome, great job. Now hold on to that. And don't forget that these passages and these poems and these stories also have great practical instruction on how to live. So look how he continues. He just said, you've been reading it all, you understand the big story part, that's awesome, but don't forget, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good Work. So it's not just telling the great big story of Jesus. It's also instructing us on how to live this life that God has called us to. So when we read the Bible, when we teach the Bible, what we tend to do is grab a little bite, grab a poem, grab a story, grab a passage, and, and, and look at it and try to understand what it wants us to understand or try to feel what it's trying to get us to feel, or try to learn what instructions it's giving us. What is this passage trying to teach me about how to live? Should we do that? Yeah, it's God communicating with us. He's giving us, yeah, we should look at the instruction in the Bible, that's awesome. But we should also look at how those passages fit into the big unified story that's gonna lead us to Jesus. So I wanna soak in that just for a second. It's doing two things at the same time. It's telling us this one big, epic, amazing story that leads us to Jesus. And also, all along the way, every poem, every story, every passage is is evoking emotion from us, it's teaching us something, and it's changing the way that we live our lives. And here's what it reminds me of. My photo album. Okay, so this, we, you showed it, we saw it in the video a few minutes ago. So this is a photo album, Our Family. Okay, maybe you have one like this. And maybe your family is almost as cute and beautiful as mine is, and that's good for you, right? So here we all are, this is our big old family, right? And this book, as I turn through it, it's awesome. I mean, here's, here's pictures of us dating, and our wedding, and this is like Kristen's first birthday, and here we are at Epcot in the San Diego Zoo. And here's uh, Mike and Kristen in my mom's backyard. 
And here's me and Margaret running a marathon together. And here's me and Mike and Graydon at a baseball game. And here's Mike getting married. And here's Ryan and, uh, and uh, Waylon catching a, their like, first fish. And here's me and Margaret and Mike playing golf. So just all, here's, here's when I baptized Mike. That was a good day, right? Here's Kristen and Jason at Christmas time. This is just all these different stories. And each one of these pictures is a story by itself, right? Maybe not to you, but to me. Each one of these is important. Each one of these brings out a feeling. Each one of these represents a season of our life. Each one of these represents something that we learned. Here's a really, really good one. Everybody see that picture? I'm sure you can. This is, a really, this is when we first moved to San Antonio, right? So the kids are little. This is, holy, this is 32 years ago. They, they, this had to be drawn on the cave walls by cavemen, right? This is 32 years ago, and in this picture, all four of us are on our bed, and we're just like Bible story time at night. And so I read, I see that picture, and it, it stands on its own to me. That, that's a story, man. That's an amazing, that was a weird time. We learned so much in that time. We learned how to live on zero money. That was kind of important. We had moved to this new town to start this new business. We didn't know anything about. We didn't know a single person here. We were scared to death, but we were very excited, and there was lots of possibilities, but we were really anxious, and it was just really weird time for us. It was just us four in a little tiny apartment with no money, and we learned to trust Jesus in ways that we had never trusted him before, and we learned to lean into each other in ways that we never had before. That, was a, that picture is awesome. That was an amazing, incredible season. That was an amazing, incredible story of our life. But the most important thing about this picture is where it fits into the great, big story of this amazing family. That's what's really the most important about it because that is, that's what brought us to San Antonio. That's where our kids met their spouses. That's where our grandkids were gonna be born. That's where we were gonna start this church. So every picture in that book represents a story. Every picture in that book evokes an emotion. Every picture in that book can teach us a lesson. But more importantly, every picture in that book is part of the bigger picture of this incredible, amazing, wonderful family. So for the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna open some passages of scripture from mostly the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, and we're gonna one at a time examine one story, just like taking that picture out. We're gonna take one passage of scripture out and we're gonna look at it and we're gonna say, what can we learn? How are we supposed to feel? What is this trying to teach us? What is this trying to tell us? What is this trying to change about us? And we'll talk about it. And then we're gonna put it back into the Bible and we're gonna see where it fits in the unified story that's gonna lead us to Jesus. And my hope is that as we're doing this for the next several weeks, one, that we'll learn some valuable instruction from the Bible. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's God communicating with us. It's got some really good information in there. And number two, that we'll have a new like appreciation for this incredible book and what it is. I hope a few weeks from now, y'all are walking around just going, man, God, communicating with us, that you'll just see how amazing and how intricate and how beautiful and how complex this scripture, this book is. 
And number three, maybe the biggest thing is, I hope that after we've done this for a while, we will all have a much bigger view of our Messiah and who Jesus is. And just like how big a deal Jesus is. Because we're gonna see that from like the rivers and the tree of life and the talking serpent on page one, right? All the way to the rivers and the tree of life and the defeated serpent on the last page. That all the way from Jesus' creation to Jesus' recreation in the end, this thing is all about Jesus. So today, just as it's, it's an introduction, right? Just a quick taste, though. Let's talk about this very first story in the Bible, the creation story. I'm going to read it to you just really, really fast. I know you've heard it a million times. Uh, this is Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from heaven from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. And God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called that space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. And then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground can appear. And that's what happened. And God called the, holy, the dry ground land and the water seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow fruit. The seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the third day. You guys heard this one? Yeah. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let it be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. And let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night, and he also made the stars. And God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed, the morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every kind of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish uh, fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. The evening passed, the morning came, Mark on the fifth day. And God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals and wild animals. And that's what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, and each one produced its own offspring. And God saw that that was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and the small animals. So God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the skies and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God creates this formless, um, orderless darkness 
And the ruach, the, 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 the breath of God, the spirit of God, it says, was hovering over all of it. And then with just his word, he creates everything. He calls everything to order. The elements of the water and the land just obey him. His word commands things to exist, and they do. The sun and the moon and the stars and plants and trees and mountains and birds and fish and animals and humans. And seven times in the story we read, then God said. And each time was creative. And each time was powerful. And each time God could see that his creation was good. And so reading this, like, okay, what little lesson can we pull out of that, right? Well, we can see a little bit about who God is, right? We can see that God can create with just a word. And we can see that God and everything in his creation were good and holy and perfect. And that point is emphasized. That point is made simultaneously, really subtly, if we're going to dig, right, with the number seven, so to the Jewish people who first heard this story, the number seven is like a really big deal. It's a, it's a holy number. It's the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of God. There's seven days in a week. There are seven lights on a menorah. There are seven pillars of wisdom. As you read through the Bible, you see that seven always means sacred, holy, orderly, complete, perfect. So the power of God's creative word is super emphasized in this, every time a seven comes up, it's just saying, and it was perfect, and it was perfect, and it was perfect, and it was perfect. Every time they heard seven, that meant that to them. And remember, there's no, there's no youth soccer. There's no video games. All they did was read the story over and over, and that the perfection was pounded into their brains over and over. Um, and it's just this number seven, especially, is really making that point. So in Hebrew, that first sentence, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, is seven words. Okay, all coincidence, right? Uh, the second verse is 14 words, seven times two. There are seven paragraphs describing seven days. Seven times it says God said. Seven times it said God saw that it was good. Seven times it says on the earth. 21 times, which is three times seven, it mentions the heavens. 21 times, which is three times seven, it mentions the earth. 35 times, which is five times seven, it mentions the name of God. That first story in Hebrew is 469 words, which is 67 times seven. So probably just a coincidence, but if seven means complete, right? If seven means holy, if seven means perfect, then the original Hebrew readers of this story would have a hard time not seeing that this was describing a God who is one, powerful enough to, be, to create things with just his word, and two, that God and his creation were perfect. So that's probably gonna be an important lesson for us to understand, isn't it? That God is separate from creation, that God is above creation, that God is able to speak things into existence, and that his creation is complete and perfect. So let's just say that's our lesson for, we just did a quickie today, right? So that's our lesson today. We pulled it out, we examine it, what do we learn? God can create with just a word, what did we learn? God's creation was perfect and good and holy. And now let's put it back in, right? Let's return it into the context of the big story. So 
how does that fit into this thing that's going to somehow, some way lead us to Jesus? Um, I mean, where does it fit, right? And what this is, is like the, like the opening movement of the story. This is, this is almost like an introduction. Um, you know when you read, a, like if you read like a novel, especially like a, a detective thing, and it, was, it was a dark stormy day in December and Max sat at his desk with a cigarette hanging from his lips. It's, you know, right? They've given all these things to kind of set up the plot and the character and the setting and, all, and that's exactly what's happening here. This is describing the main character in the story. Who's the main character in the story? Yeah, it's God, right? He's the one that did everything. It's giving us the setting of the story. Where did this all happen? In the heavens and the earth, this perfect world that he created. And it's starting the plot of the story by describing what the main character is doing. He's creating this perfect world, heaven and earth together. So as we're plugging this thing back into the storyline, this big, amazing story of Jesus begins with this one passage. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and God's space, God's perfect space and human space was one space. And God and man were together in this perfect place that this perfect God had created. And so spoiler alert, as we read forward, this perfect place he created and these humans that he created are going to play a huge part in the big story. So next week, we'll see kind of what happens next. And we'll take out a little passage just like that picture, and we'll look at it, and we'll examine it, and we'll say, how is this supposed to make us feel? What is this supposed to teach us? How is this supposed to adjust the way that we're living our lives? And then we'll take that story, and we'll put it right back in, and we'll see how that picture fits into the big picture, which is the big, amazing, unified story that leads to Jesus. That's it. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you um, for your creative power. Thank you for just being who you are. Your ability to just speak things into existence is just almost overwhelming to us. As we examine who you are, God, it just, it just brings even more power to this incredible book. And Lord, I just pray that as we're moving forward in this thing, we're, we're going to take this for the next several weeks. I just pray that you'll open our eyes to those things, just, just how amazing this book is and all the little lessons that it has for us and all the things we can learn that really apply in our lives right now. And also, Jesus, will you just show us how this book points to you? That this, every story, every poem, every word in this is leading us to this place where we realize the need and the promise for Messiah. God, will you help us to see Jesus everywhere we look and especially in your book? God, open our eyes. Help us to do the work to really understand what you really want to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, thanks so much for being here today. Don't forget, stop and talk to Shane about joining a life group. Also, it's not too late. Ladies, we have about 150 women signed up for this Bible study that's starting right now. It's not too late for you to sign up for that. Just contact women at mycbcb.com. Men, you don't even have to do that. Just show up Wednesday night at 630 and we'll see you then. Talk to Shane. Join a life group today. God bless you guys.